to the Mission Your Shore podcast. We're going to pick back up in our series on the life and times of Jesus. We took a couple week break to talk about communion and baptism, but um, we're going to pick back up in our series right now. And um, one kind of important thing that is uh, that we do oftentimes with our teaching, not always, sometimes we do a little topical thing here and there to hit certain subjects. But for the most part, we try to go right through the Word. Right now we're taking four Gospels, we're harmonizing them, and we're just going straight through them to look at exactly what Jesus said, to get the fullest picture of who He was and what He did and, and, and so forth. And one of the reasons that we do that, and we teach right through the Word as opposed to just picking out topics that we like, is that it forces us to deal with topics that we don't like right? Because if it was just up to me just picking random topics, there would be things that I would avoid. But if you just teach through the Word, it makes you address everything at some point. And anyone that knows me knows that this subject for today is going to be one that I would skip if I could. And that's the subject of money. I absolutely hate to talk about, preach about money at all. And the reason for that is not because it's not important. It is important. It's a, it's a large part of every one of our lives, right? And it's not because it's not a prevalent topic within Scripture. It's a huge subject within Scripture. What sours me to the subject is the abuse of it, right? That's something I don't even have to explain, right? Put on your TV and you see what? Guys in churches appealing for your money, send your money, send your money. And some meetings seem like that's all that they do. Talk about getting your money. I don't want to be associated with that in any way, shape, or form. And one thing that you would have to admit if you've been at the mission for any length of time is that we almost never talk about money, right? We've never passed a collection plate. We've never asked for a single penny. We've given opportunities to give, like we are with the Philippines. We say, we're giving. If you want to join in on that, that's cool. But we've never asked for a single penny. We simply just throw a box in the back of the room, and whoever understands biblical giving and wants to be involved in that can do that. We almost never talk about giving, and some have said, even to a fault. And they're probably right. We've probably, not probably, we have neglected the subject. We really have many times. And the reason they would be right in saying that is two things. Number one, biblical giving and tithing is a part of Christian worship. Now that's not our subject for today. If you want to understand that more, what biblical giving and tithing is all about, on our website there's a... Uh, a giving page you can look and I have a sermon on there you can listen to the whole thing and that's kind of like two years ago the last time I even talked about it you can go listen to that message and it'll fill you in on biblical tithing and giving the number two reason that someone could fault us for neglecting the subject is because in the Bible money is a huge subject in fact the Bible has around 500 references to prayer and about the same number of references to faith, but has over 2,000 references to money and possessions. Out of 38 parables, 16 of them deal with how we handle 
our money and possessions. Jesus said more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. Think about that for a second. One out of every seven verses in the Gospels deals with the issue of money and possessions. Now, the reason for that is not because God needs your money. God doesn't need your money. The reason for that is because money and possessions so easily ensnare the human heart, right? We have to understand that we recognize that. Every one of us understands that that's an issue, right? We've seen the greed in our world, right? We've seen friendships destroyed over money, haven't we? We, We've seen families torn apart at times over money. People have committed suicide over loss of money. Robberies every day over money. Killings over money. Wars fought over money. But what I want us to get to as we look at this text is that this text is not really about money in and of itself. It's about our hearts towards it. This is all about the heart. You see, God doesn't need your money and God doesn't need your stuff. What God wants is your heart. The problem is we so often have our heart wrapped around our stuff. That's the problem. If he's going to get to the heart, he has to unwrap it from our stuff. I had planned on getting to verse 34, which we're not going to get there. But we're going to begin there today. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 34, and how powerful and telling and how revealing this one little simple verse is. Jesus says in Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? Can anybody testify to that being the truth? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The point is that where one puts his money reveals his priority and his heart, meaning that you can really track where your heart and your priorities are by what we do with our money. That's just real deal right there. Can't get any simpler than that, but it can't get any more revealing than what Jesus said. Where, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's look at the text. We're going to begin in verse 13. As we come to verse 13, Jesus has been teaching um, his disciples and a large crowd had gathered around them, so much so that they were stepping on each other. And a gentleman in the crowd um, gains Jesus' attention and, and, you know, says something from the crowd. Look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, speaking of Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me the judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. The whole thing this morning really does center on verse 15. I'll read it for you in the New Living. I like this. It says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So, the scene opens up with this large crowd around Jesus. 
there are apparently two brothers in the crowd. One of them wants Jesus to correct the other brother. And there's this dispute over inheritance. Now, we're not given the, de- the details of the dispute. We don't know exactly why these brothers are fighting over this money. In that culture, it was very much customary for the older brother to receive quite a bit more than the younger brother. Usually, the older brother would get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger brother would then get a third of the inheritance. I don't know. Maybe that's what he's been out of shape about. We're not sure. Maybe... One of the brothers is truly ripping off the other one. Maybe that's happening. We just don't know. But what I find telling about this whole scene is that Jesus seems completely unconcerned with the details of the conflict. Yet at the same time, extremely concerned with the condition of their heart. Jesus won't even get involved in who's right or who's wrong. He doesn't say, okay, well, let's hammer this out. You tell me your side, I'll, you know, listen to your side, and then we'll try to figure out. He doesn't do any of that. All he does is says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. That's his answer to the conflict. Maybe some of you guys have, I certainly have, seen families destroyed over who gets an inheritance. You guys ever seen that? Brothers and sisters who grew up together that won't even talk to each other now because of an inheritance. When they should be pulling together the most to grieve a lost parent, they're fighting the most. Sometimes opportunity exposes the heart, doesn't it? Get along fine. Well, everything's fine. But when there's an opportunity there, sometimes it exposes the truth within our heart. And we have to recognize and admit that greed and envy are deeply rooted in our sin nature, yeah? I mean, think about it like this. The first two brothers on the entire earth, one of them killed the other over greed and envy. You only got two brothers on the earth. And one of them kills the other one over envy. I remember when I was at North Shore Christian Fellowship and and a large part of the children's ministry there. And I remember one morning um, as all the parents were picking up all the kids and I was in the little, little, little guys class, smaller than than these boys here. And and I remember these two kids, that's all that was in the class left. There were toys, so many on on the floor that you could almost not see the floor. And two kids fighting over one toy. More toys than any of us, any child should ever have. But they're fighting over one toy. And I remember just standing there looking at this scene and going, that's us, that's our greed, that's our sin nature within us. And neither one of those children wanted to play with the toy. Both of them just wanted to possess the toy. And the only reason they wanted to possess the toy was because the other child had the toy. If he threw that one on the side, it wouldn't have mattered. We've all been there, yeah? We have to recognize that that is a part of our sin nature, that that is somewhere within us. Every one of us have had moments when we could have cared less about something until our buddy got it. 
And now we can't live without it. Because he's got it. And I need it. I didn't need it yesterday, but I need it today. And I can't live without it. Proverbs says it this way. The eyes of man is never satisfied. They, they we're always looking at what they got. We want. In our culture, we've kind of stopped calling it greed and envy. We don't recognize it any longer as coveting. We now call it advertising. And the manufacturers and the retailers and the, and the advertisers, they bank on the idea that as soon as you see the new one, you will grow discontent with your old one. Regardless of what it is, right? They live on that. Why did they come out with a 2014 model car? There was nothing wrong, most likely, with the 2013 it got you where you needed to go, but it's more shiny. It's got more cup holders. You know, the rear window heats up or something. You know? We got to recognize that's within us. Whatever it is, right? The newest electronic, the newest phone, the iPhone, really? All I do with a phone is basically call and text. And when the, what is it, the 6 came out, I had to get a new phone. I had actually just gotten a new phone, and I had Noel take it back for me so I could wait for the new one. And guess what I do with the new one? The exact same thing I did with the old one. Call people and text them. There's absolutely no need for the newer phone. But that's just what's in us. That's, I mean, it's just there. The eyes of man are never satisfied. God knew that this would be in us. He put it in the Ten Commandments. The very tenth one says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male and female servants, his ox, his donkey. And then he puts this at the end just to cover it. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Anything. Because some of you guys are like, I don't covet my neighbor's donkey. That's not a problem for me. My neighbor's ox, whatever. It says anything. And so Jesus' answer to these brothers is what? Be careful, boys. Watch out for greed. Doesn't even get into the discussion, does he? Just watch out for greed, boys. And then he tells them this parable. Look at verse 16. We'll just do verse 16 first. And Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich, uh, of a rich man was very productive. The land of a rich man was very productive. Notice a couple things here. Number one, the man was already wealthy. And number two, God blessed the man further by making his land very productive. Now, there's an important point that we need to bring up at this time right here. Having wealth, so long as it was gained in a legitimate manner, having wealth is not wrong or bad in and of itself. In fact, we see in the Bible that God made certain people wealthy. Abraham was exceedingly wealthy. The man in our story today was wealthy and he was made wealthy by God. Why? Because his land was productive. Who, who's in charge of the rain? Who's in charge of the crops? Who's in charge of the land? God is. He made this man's land productive. Is it wrong to have a successful business? Absolutely not. 
Blessing and wealth are not this man's problem. What we're about to see is that this man's problem is his heart and his attitude towards what God had entrusted him with. Watch what happens in the next three verses. In the next three verses, you're going to see 12 personal pronouns, I and my. And you guys see if you can figure out where this guy's focus and priority is. Verse 17. And then he began to, this is the parable Jesus said about this rich man whose land had been productive. Verse 17. And he began to reason to himself. This is the rich man saying, what shall I do since I have no place for my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Come, take your ease, drink, uh, sorry, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Twelve times in three verses, he says, I or my. What's his focus? His motivation is, I'll be greedy so I can get lazy. That's his whole deal, right? Soul? Take your, your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. I have plenty laid up for many years. Notice God's response in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So this man, uh, so is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. You guys ever seen that bumper sticker that says that the guy who dies with the most toys wins? You guys seen that? That's this guy. He, he's got absolutely everything that he needs, but then God blesses him with more, and he says, well, what I need then is just larger barns. He's got this bumper sticker. The guy that, that, that dies with the most toys wins. But the question has to be what? What does he win? Because God says, you're a fool. And the one thing that we recognize as humanity is death has a very powerful way of revealing what is and has been very important in someone's life, doesn't it? As soon as we die, as soon as we're faced with death or somebody close to us dies, we begin to think along these lines. We consider what value their life had based on what they put value on, don't we? Somebody dies and we're like, well, they had a stamp collection, so that was kind of cool. Or somebody dies and you go, you know what? They spent their whole life pouring into other people, reaching out to the needy, taking care of this person. And we go, man, that was a valuable life. What did we do with what God gave us? That's what we begin to consider at the end of life, don't we? As every one of us, probably many of us, will have a moment when we know we're dying, right? Probably most of us will. Most of us probably won't die suddenly. And we'll reflect back. And what becomes important at that moment? What you got in your barns? Or what you did with what God gave you? What you lived for? I think what Jesus is doing here 
is he's wanting us to consider that now as opposed to when it's all over. When we can do something about it now as opposed to at the end when it's too late. That's why he says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where the moths come in and the rust destroys and where the thieves break in and steal it. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I think what Jesus is doing with a parable like this is he's trying to get us and these two brothers to consider what are we doing with our lives now? What are we doing with what God's given us now? That's what the man in this parable, this rich fool should have considered couple things here that the guy from our parable never gave heed to that I want us to consider and take hold of. A couple of principles that will help us wrap our head around this particular parable. Number one is this. Everything belongs to God anyway. Everything belongs to Him anyway. Job had a very good understanding of this when Job said in Job 1.21, he said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave this world. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. David said, the earth is the Lord, is the Lord's and all it contains, the world um, and those who dwell in it. Colossians said, For by him all things are created, both in heaven and in earth, uh, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Everything that's been created for him. God said himself in Psalm 50, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountain and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. James says that every good and perfect gift came down from our Father in heaven. You see, if we understand that everything belongs to God in the first place, then it helps us understand our role is not owner of those things, but merely steward of those things, right? If we understand that it all belongs to Him anyway, then it helps us understand our role in life. Not of owner of the things that God has given us, but of steward of the things that God gave us. Job understood that, right? He said, naked I came into this world, and naked I'm going to leave. And everything that happened on the in-between, between the coming into the world and the leaving, everything that I had belonged to God. He could take it when He wanted. He could could give it when He wanted. And so the question then becomes for us, as we reflect on this man storing up in his barns, the question then becomes for us, am I a good steward of what God has given me? We're not going to go into them now, but as we read through the Gospels, and we'll hit some soon, there are a lot of parables about stewardship that tell us that we'll be held accountable for what we do with what God gave us, and not only money and possessions, but also time and talent and giftings and influence and whatever else God has given us. 
That's for another day. So number one, under the things that the rich fool failed to consider that we really need to grab hold of, is that everything belongs to God anyway. Number two is this, that God blesses us to be a blessing to others. We see this throughout Scripture. God blesses us to bless others. We see it from the very beginning with Abraham. Abraham was made incredibly wealthy. He was blessed, and he was incredibly blessed by God. And God said to Abraham this, in Genesis 12, 2, he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and so you will be a blessing. You see, what happens there is it wasn't to end with Abraham. It was to go through Abraham, and he was to be a blessing. God's saying, my plan, Abraham, is to bless you so that you can bless others. Meaning then that we are to be on mission with what God has entrusted to us, right? That's what that means. If we are blessed to be a blessing to others, it means that we are meant to be on mission with what God has given us. For the guy in the parable, the blessing stopped with him. He was already wealthy. God blessed him further, but the blessing stopped there. He had every opportunity to bless others, but it stopped with him. Now, why would God do this? Why would God choose to channel his blessing through us? Why would he do that? Well, I think there's several reasons, but one of them is this. One is he loves us, He wants to spend time with us, have relationship with us, and he wants to then give our lives a purpose and a meaning they couldn't otherwise have. Beyond ourselves and beyond our world. He wants our lives to count for eternity. And when we take what God has given us and we use what God has given us to see others come to Christ, what happens? Our life counts for eternity, doesn't it? But what happens to the meaning and purpose of life when we choose only to live for ourselves? It ends with ourselves, doesn't it? When we live that way, when we do that, we do away with any real, true, lasting, transcending meaning or purpose to life. Does that make sense? When we only choose to live for ourselves, we do away with any real, true, lasting, transcending meaning and purpose to our lives. But when we choose to take what God has given us and use it for His kingdom, we then lay up treasures in heaven, as Jesus said. When we choose to live for ourselves, and we do like the man in our story, and we build bigger barns, it's gone in a second, yeah? In an instant, it's gone, and then we ask the question, what is life worth? Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? There was a very famous author, I'll leave him unnamed, 
And he was doing an interview about all of the success that he had had. He was quite wealthy. He had had a lot of success as a writer. And he was doing this interview late in life. And he was asked by the um, interviewer to reflect back upon his success and all he had achieved. And this is all he said. He says, I wish I knew then what I know now, that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. That when you get to the top, I got everything. I got everything I set out to achieve. And when we do that, when we gain everything that we set out for and we achieve every goal, and even if we make stacks of money, and even if we give in to every single pleasure, if it was all for the sake of self, I guarantee that there will still be a hole in your heart. There will still be something missing. You can't accumulate enough. Listen to King Solomon. He said it very poetically in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Listen to this. Just kind of focus on what Solomon is saying. Solomon said, I said to myself, come, let us try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life but I found that it too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good can then, uh, what good, uh, sorry, what good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine and I was still seeking wisdom. I clutched at foolishness and in this way, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during this brief life in this world. Listen to what he says here. And I also tried to find meaning. I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks and filled them with every kind of fruit tree. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate, um, to irrigate my flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and other slaves were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold and treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me. Then listen to what he said. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work and the reward of my labors. But as I looked at everything that I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There's nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Listen to King Solomon a guy that had absolutely anything he wanted, withheld no desire from himself. He went on an experiment. He goes, what happens if I give myself every single thing that I want? And he said, it was all meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. So what are we chasing? Does what we're chasing count for eternity. 
you, you see, church, what God has done is He's given us great purpose and meaning to our lives by calling us to be on mission with Him in this world and given us great meaning and purpose to our lives by blessing us that we would be a blessing to others. In this world, when we do like the man with bigger barns or we do like Solomon and we look for our identity or our security, or our joy, or our fulfillment and possessions, we can only ever be disappointed regardless of how much we get. Because humanity was created for eternity. Ecclesiastes says that eternity is in our hearts, but you can't take it with you. And we were created for relationship with God. And nothing that you can buy, and nothing that you can achieve, and regardless of how big, how big you build your barns and how much stuff you fill them with, none of it can ever replace the longing in your heart that only Jesus can fill, fulfill for that relationship. That's what you were created for. It just doesn't matter how much stuff you can accumulate, how hard you pursue it, does it? That's what Solomon said. He said, I had everything. Everything, and it was meaningless. There's no purpose, no meaning to life that transcends then. But we can have everything in Christ Jesus. When He's your everything, it's enough. If you're dissatisfied, what are you dissatisfied with? yourself, your status, what you have. But when Jesus is there, He's enough. He's given you every blessing. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. If you have a hole right now that you're trying to fill with stuff, there's only one thing that fills that hole sufficiently, and that's Christ. How many times have you bought the new thing, and a week later you just don't even mess with it anymore? We need to find our purpose, our meaning, our fulfillment, our joy, and our security, and our identity in Christ alone. It'll change us. Change the way we view the world. Change the way we treat people. And change the way we handle what God's given us. Amen? Lord, we thank you and we praise you that your word has this simple ability to just speak to our hearts. We recognize that money is a huge topic in every one of our lives. We need it to live. We understand that, Lord. But we as a church want to decide not to worship our wealth, but worship with our wealth. Lord, we recognize from this story we are the rich man. That most of this world lives on less than a couple bucks a day. You have blessed us, Lord. 
may we in turn turn that around to blessing others. Lord, I pray as we go into a time of worship now, you would speak to our hearts that we would be a church heeding your warning to these two brothers to be on guard against every form of greed. Search our hearts, Lord. See if there's any wicked way in us. See if there's any greed bound up in us, Lord. See what we're living for, Lord. And speak to our hearts. As we come before you, Lord, we praise you because of the gifts you've given us and the opportunities you've given us. Yet at the same time, we choose now to come before you, hearts wide open, and ask you to make us stewards of what you've given us. We do that together now as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.